meditation even that's been memorable something that someone said to you that had a lasting impression that affected your life in some way and if you would go ahead and kind of set up the context for for how this how you heard this and then um and then we'll take it from there and if i'm understanding correctly uh you want and I'm sorry, I know you jump right in. I'm so sorry. I just want to get this correct as well. Um, sure. You want to, Can this be business-related? Because I have a couple things in mind. Can this be business-related, just personally related? Yeah, more, more personally related. It could be business-related. I've had, I've had people share um, what their spouse has said recently, mm. what someone, a, a parent said, a I'm teacher ready. said, uh, yep. a manager, you know, so it's... Everything from executives to come everyday people. Yeah, I'm ready. Okay, so go ahead and kind of set the context for for how this happened. Yeah, so um, so yeah, I can set the context. This is interesting. So essentially, um, I grew up in a very a very interesting dynamic. So, um, from from birth until about till about seventh or seventh or eighth grade. I grew up in this very, very affluent area, million dollar homes, very affluent friends, um, all different colors and, 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 and backgrounds and races and, and dynamics. And so it was very interesting. And out of nowhere, um, I rem- I'll never forget it to this day, I was, uh, I was uprooted to uh, Baltimore, Maryland. And I'm not sure how much you know about Baltimore, but Baltimore, for the most part, is very, very different. And the area that I was moved to was very different than where I grew up. Um, You know, homes were in the maybe 100,000, maybe 170, 200 if you're lucky. Um, You know, kids were coming to school, uh, not eating at home. You know, we were getting their meals at, you know, the only times they really ate throughout the day were the breakfast the school would give them and the lunch the school would give them. And a, and a snack on their way home, um, you know. Friends were dealing with deaths in the deaths in the family and all different types of things, and there were shootings and very different dynamic. And so, um, I never forget. So that's the context for me. And then I never forget what my mom said to me one day. She said, "I raised you." This was about seventeen years old. She said, "I raised you to be a chameleon," and I never understood what she really meant until years later. And now I finally do understand. What she meant by that is she put me in so many different dynamics and situations, whether it was the expensive camp she would take me to in the summers, or whether it was going up to North Philly, where she grew up and taking me predominantly around African-Americans and, and a lot of different cultures and races and quote unquote, the urban term of the hood or taking me then back to the million dollar home areas and all the different extracurricular activities and sports that I would do. And then as we moved to Baltimore and all the different energies and the complexities and, and human beings I was interacting there. And it, she said, I, I, I purposely designed your life to, for you to be a chameleon. She said, correct me if I'm wrong, AJ. And this was a couple of years ago. She said, correct me if I'm wrong, but you can go into a boardroom and talk to a man that's sitting across from you or a lady sitting across from you wearing a $75,000 Rolex that runs a $100 million company. Or you can immediately flip over and then go to a nice tailgate with, tailgate with a couple of your buddies and put back a few beers and just kick it like you're one of the homies. You have a very 
a, you have this nuanced ability to be a chameleon, and I think that's going to be a really good thing for you long term in life. Uh, and she definitely was right. So I don't know if that is a good one, but that's for me something that's really helped me in my business, in my personal life, uh, in my friendships. And it's really helped me a lot with my leadership and being able to understand different employees and different partners and different energies and personalities. What it tells me is that, you know, just by being a chameleon, what what that comes out into the business world or in, into your life is that you value everyone regardless of their upbringing, their wealth, their opportunities and can relate and identify with those people very well. A thousand percent. It's it's seamless for me. It's something that um, is not difficult to pull off at all. Um, and frankly, and it's, 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 it's genuinely because it's locked in my subconscious now. And so, you know, a few years back, um, I, I did a lot of research into neuroscience and psychology and all these different elements. And I And again, I realized that what was happening over the years of my life is, Again, all these different situations and personalities and perspectives are just getting jammed into my my subconscious and then would be getting locked into my memory banks. And so for me, I literally was pulling off of just my natural state of who I am when going into these different rooms and these different dynamics and these different situations. And so again, now that I'm a you know going on being a 31 year old full fledged adult and man running a business and, and, and doing different deals and partnerships and hiring different folks and having different conversations, I find myself being a chameleon, not in an inauthentic way, but in a very authentic way, because it, lit- it literally is who I am. Um, and I'll say this is the last thing. What a lot of people don't realize is that whether you're an African, African-American, whether you're a Caucasian, whether you're any other type of race, there's actually a lot of people that are the complete opposite of being a chameleon. And this is where a lot of the DE&I conversations fall into place. A lot of people actually feel super comfortable talking to just folks and interacting and working with folks that look just like them or think yeah. just like them or have had prior situations and experiences that were very similar to them. And for me, I think why I immediately kind of not, I don't want to say didn't resonate with the DEI conversation, but it kind of threw me off a bit. It's because of the way my mom raised me, where I was such a chameleon, I never thought about it that way. I, I just thought everyone, frankly, had the ability to interact and, and, and communicate and work with all different shapes, colors, and sizes. And so um, it's been well, interesting. You were, you were living that experience, definitely, that other people don't, don't have. Yeah, exactly. And the, the thing that the thing that strikes me is how critical it is and crucial it is in the business world, but from a um, slightly different perspective. And while a lot of people, they get along, they feel comfortable being around like people. When when you are around people and I can imagine even you could be around someone who is I'm trying to think of the word who who is opposed to who you are and your presence. You could still get along with that person. If you were extremely liberal and another person was extremely conservative, I can most most people could not have a conversation. But I see I, I, I can anticipate and thinking of some people I know in my life 
where you can actually have conversations and not only good conversations, but I can see that you would enjoy talking with people that are so different than from you. I've been, I was the, when I was the head of people for a company uh, a few years back, not even a few years back, maybe about a year, yeah, about a year and a half ago before COVID happened. And now we're a few months into the second year of COVID. Um, we actually hired someone that had never literally, and I know this is so odd, that had never literally seen another color. Oh, wow. He grew up in a very, 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 very small town in uh, Louisiana. And he literally never saw another color. And it was very, very different for him kind of interacting in, in that setting. And he was a white guy, by the way. And long story short, so many other managers within the organization, frankly, um, found it very difficult because he was so qualified for the role and he was such a rock star. They were so excited to bring him in. But as he got into the org, because you and I both know this, right? Interviews are nothing but more than PR moments, right? Everyone's sure. PRing themselves, right? You, you don't really know who you're actually getting until you get them into the org. And what they didn't realize is that they felt, when I say they, the other managers felt very uncomfortable interacting, frankly, and, and understanding how to deal with or, or support or lead or communicate with this guy. And I had no problem with it. I thought it was super fascinating. I thought it was interesting. We had conversations about it. And he said to me, he's like, and he's like, no disrespect here, but he's like, I've never met another black guy, period. But he said, watching movies and TV and other things, I thought you guys would be a lot different than what you are. And I didn't take that offensively. What I took that as is, kind of going back to our conversation, I think since I'm such a chameleon naturally, I feel like I don't fit any prototype or any scenario. I feel like, again, I'm just, I'm me slash I can blend and navigate in different situations. And so to your point, I was not nervous or uncomfortable for one second when interacting with this guy. I think that's a good stopping point. So th that was fantastic. I love the story. Yeah. Beautiful story. Okay, let's move on to part two. And this is an opportunity for you to share a story of leadership, whether it's whether it's something that you've done that in leading others or something you witnessed or was a part of talking about someone else who has led. And by leading, it's not necessarily something big. It could even be something very small in the way someone presents themselves or models particular behaviors. So if you would set me up with the context of the story and um, and then we could talk about it and talk about how it resulted. Yeah, so um, there's a, my, my former COO, Naya, he doesn't mind if I call him. I, I've, I've mentioned Naya in so many different podcasts. He's kind of giving me the green light, so he doesn't mind. Um, so my former COO, Naya, um, Dear friend, went to his wedding this past year via Zoom, by the way. That was an interesting one. Um, he's, a, he's a great friend. And when I came into the organization, Naya was in a role that he was naturally very skilled at doing, a.k.a. the COO role. But one thing that I inevitably found out about Naya is he had a lot of different interests and passions that he wanted to flex and that he wanted to experience and never quite felt he stumbled upon the right leader that would push him in that direction. And inevitably, 
when I came into the organization as the head of people, the way I structured my role is I was not only the head of people, but I also had, I don't like to say this, but it was pretty straight up within my contract and the way we created the role. Outside of the CEO, I had like executive authority and power in like, I don't like to use those words, you know, you know, you've gotten to know me a little bit. I don't like to say that, but the way it worked out, the other executives and managers reported directly to me. And when it came to, when it came to EQ, leadership, communication, team building, personality type dynamics of a role within an organization. Now, they were not my direct report when it came to like tiny tasks being a COO or being a CMO or being a general manager of or being, you know, a head of whatever the case is. But when it came to more of the human side of the organization and the human side of being a leader, they direct they reported directly to me and I held them accountable. And what I realized when when speaking, interacting with Naya is that uh, he was about to leave the organization. And at the time, Naya accounted for a very, very, very substantial part of why we were successful. If Naya had left that organization, the, 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 the organization would have been in a very difficult spot. There was no succession planning anywhere within the organization to replace Naya. Naya was such an ad hoc character and so great at his job. And we were moving so fast as a startup, there were no documentations around processes and workflows and best practices. There were no systems that were built that would kind of replicate what he was doing. It was all kind of on that one person's back. And so- A major setback if, if he ended up leaving. Big, and you know enough about business, big hole. You never want that to be the case. But that was the case. That's the reality, right? So that's the context there. Now, what I realized is he was going to be leaving the organization because he had so many conversations with our CEO about changing his role. Now, the CEO, as you probably can understand, did what behooved the brand, which is to keep Nyga exactly where he was 100% of the time. Now, me coming into the organization, I conducted my first one-on-one with Naya. And in my very first one-on-one, I realized that Naya had a passion for poetry he had actually published a few uh, pieces uh, of, of writing a few years ago. He had a passion for just writing in general. He had a passion for storytelling. He had a passion for like creating narratives. He enjoyed uh, PR. He enjoyed um, he enjoyed uh, creating partnerships. He had experience post uh, uh, previous to this role where he was actually the partnership director for a nonprofit. And he wanted to move his role into more of a PR, communications, partnership design type role. And the COO role just was not super exciting for him any longer. And he was thinking about seriously leaving the organization to go and pursue that, to pursue that goal. And so here's where, where his, my... Where his passions are. Where his passions were. And, and where his previous skill sets were. So it wasn't even like he was a, a wishful thinking man. He actually had had wins and success and tactical skills in these departments as well. So he probably, he probably could have gotten the opportunity somewhere, actually, and have that you know, if you really want to kind of think about it and get granular with it. And so what I did, kind of here's my leadership part in this, where I did is I presented this data to the CEO like I'm supposed to, made it very clear to him, we are going to lose nine. It is a fact. It is objective. And me being the head of people, 
I'm a little bit different than your traditional HR person. I'm not going to do what behooves the brand. I'm also going to do what behooves the human. That's, that's how I roll. You knew that bringing me in. And I have a suggestion of how we can create a win-win. Let's over time really figure out what Naya wants. Let's, 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 let's extract as much data as we can. And let's start to massage his role a bit. So right now he's a fully 100% COO. Let's taper it back to 85% COO. And let's start, let's, start, let's start to create some mentorship programs on behalf of Naya to really see if his writing skills and his PR skills are where he thinks it is. I have a partnership background. I ran a partnership consultancy firm for three and a half years. Let me start to work with him with some partnership design and looking into how we can create more partnerships on behalf of the brand because we didn't have a partnership director at the time. And let's figure out how we, me and Naya can start to, or Naya and I can start to collaborate on some of those projects. And over time, I created a six-month program where every single month we would start to taper back 5%, 5%, 5% of his role. And to replace the tapering back, I started having Naya document everything, create systems wow. around his work, create processes around his work. We found a really young fellow in the organization that, that genuinely always looked up to Naya in the shadows. And we brought him in to sit underneath of Naya and watch Naya. And we groomed him. And so over the six months, we were able to switch Naya to having 30% of a COO role and where the other young fella replaced the other 70% and the processes were put in place. And now the other percentage, he was doing some of the more exciting things. And uh, unfortunately, due to COVID, the business was shut down. So we weren't able to see the full-fledged outcome of what this would have been. But here's the punchline. Naya never left the company. And the company was able to sustain the COO role, the operations of the organization. And frankly, we needed that sustainability. And um, I think that's a good example of, of, of me reacting to someone's context, being empathetic, but also strategic to behoove the, the human and behoove the brand. Definitely. And I love how you managed to keep Naya's intellectual capital within the company, the organization did documentations, brought someone in to, and, and how you progressively increase that other person's role in the COO role so that you can not only, you can encourage the growth that Naya wanted, which is one of the leadership principles is helping people grow and develop mentally and morally and, and just mature in those ways. A thousand percent, a thousand percent. And it was something, again, that um, I think what I just broke down is not a crazy radical thing. I mean, you Google it right now. It's a pretty standard best practice. But I think you would understand and you would agree a lot of companies don't do it like a this. A lot of companies don't do it. Right. It's something that is pretty common and standard and I'm, I shouldn't be rewarded. But I think what I should be rewarded for is having the courage to create the synergies of what the human wanted, what the organization wanted, sustain the you know the intellectual you know properties and capital and, and and knowledge that Naya had within the org, kept his retention, kept him there. Also thinking about how to like I just think there's a, there's a lot of moving pieces that happen that where I think I think leaders get lazy. I think what I did was very tiring, very thoughtful, very strategic, very at a human level, exhausting, frankly, there were a lot of moments where it was not easy um, on the human side of it and the, on the communication side of it. And I think a lot of leaders get lazy because it, what's easier 
uh, Gary, and I'll, and I'll end my rant here. What's easier is for a leader to do what behooves him or her, or then and then inevitably what behooves the brand. Exactly, and, and you know this is a good example of of someone who is not extrinsically say that again extrinsically motivated by money and um, even recognition. It's he's intrinsically his intrinsic incentives his outlet that he really wants you managed to tap into but you're so right it's if it's not within your quote-unquote standard procedures a lot of people don't want to do it they don't want to make that extra effort of adapting to be able to come up with a better solution yep yep and so that's why i think you know that's why i think you know if 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 I'm good at anything, it's examples of like, it's like that. And, you know, I've always said this, you know, I'm very weak in certain areas when it comes to this world, but I'm very strong in examples like that. Because examples like that, I feel show off what leaders should do. It shows off the thoughtful energy of how to protect and sustain a business model. It shows off how to be super humanistic and empathetic at a very strategic and operational way. Because what, you know, I think, and this is my last statement, I think what, what happens a lot, Gary, is a lot of folks do part of it, right? So a lot of, so there's a lot of HR managers or a lot of heads of people or a lot of culture leaders that just have the, 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 the general conversation with Naya and they just build that relationship and they say, Naya, that's so amazing. Let's have a conversation about where you want to be and what you want to do and things of that nature. And they really want to help Naya. They actually believe in it so much. But here's what happens. Your typical HR leader, your typical leader, when they go to their CEO, CEO or the COO, whoever they report to, they will paint a picture of what Naya wants. And then inevitably, due to the pressures of the conversation and frankly, the way that their role is designed, that's the big caveat, Gary. If you remember in the beginning, the way my role was designed is this was my call. This wasn't obviously the CEO could have vetoed everything. But thank God that we had a really great relationship. I didn't have to look anywhere else to make this call. I kind of already had the full green light on this. And that's frankly how I think more of the, the head of people or the chief people officer role should be designed. But I think what ha happens at the leadership level is when they go to their direct reports with this energy or with this idea, the pressure of that conversation immediately turns them from a human to a robot. And then I believe they start to go back into their subconscious, which is what did business school teach me? What does my CEO want? What is going to behoove me and keep me from staying out of the hot water? Because I know this is going to be a difficult thing to sell. Um, well, you also, when we're looking at, you made it a win-win situation. I think this is where what you described the chameleon comes into play because you understood what the CEO needed and how detrimental it would be if Naya ended up leaving the company. And you also understood Naya was going to leave the company. And you managed to marry the two and come up with a solution that kept the company going, that that really developed a lot of loyalty with Naya and motivation to ensure that he's able to make his, his successor successful and at the same time make the company successful by doing the documentation of uh, and the processes of his role. Yep, yep. And so... I don't know if that's a good example or a good story, but that's one that that has always stuck with me. And and, and again, like I said, I think it's one of the things that I'm I'm, I'm best at, and I and I, and I want to see more of it. And 
And again, I don't blame a lot of folks for not doing certain things like that because there's a lot of red tape inside of roles and maybe that's another day in another conversation for another day. But uh, I was thankful to have that that flexibility and that and that and that that confidence to do that. So I don't know if that's a good story, but it's a great story. And with that, let's stop with that part of the story. And that was really good. That that is, I, I love that example. By the way, it's just fantastic, and it really it, it really illustrated your chameleon role. It illustrated something else that um, that there's so many negative incentives for doing what you do just because it causes more work and more effort on your part, and a lot of people don't want to deal with that effort. Yep. Exactly. Let's let's move on to part three, and this is a little bit short. This is an opportunity for you to share some advice to listeners about what they can do to be more effective leading others or helping others mature and develop their mental and moral capability, qualities, and behaviors. Um, I I think this one's going to be real simple. Um, It kind of goes back to the, the, the second part of this. Context. Context, context, context. Um, when I started the E1B2 Collective, which is my company, I genuinely thought about calling the company Context, even though I thought that was a horrible name, so I never did it. But that really sums up everything that I'm about. I really, I, frankly, and, I, and, 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 and you know my background, I'm not really an expert in anything, I don't think. I think what I'm great at is reacting and unpacking and living into and loving someone's personal context and their personal story and what makes them them and figuring out what they want and trying to connect it to the brand. And so if I can give any leader any advice, it's figure out context, aka figure out context in a you know diversity of thinking and learning perspective when you're putting in learning and development tools and procedures and best practices. Think about context when it comes to auditing the retention issues you may be having and really figuring out why you're having those retention issues and diving into the context of the employee and going to the employee first and letting them drive and navigate the best practices and structures and processes that you need to put in place. Don't look at what Google or Coinbase or Airbnb are doing to solve retention issues. Look at what your people actually say they want a.k.a. their context, and then use that data to then make your decisions on what you need to do. Think about context when it comes to career mapping and career ladders. Think about context when it comes to creating compensation bands as a leader. Think about context when it comes to figuring out, I mean, think about context like you do when you think about your branding and your marketing and your product decisions. I mean, organizations think about context all the time when you're rolling out product. When you're thinking about marketing initiatives and, and branding initiatives and Facebook ads and commercials and, and writing um, and from a PR perspective, but we tend to not think about context when it comes to leading humans. Um, you know, human beings are the most complex things floating around this world. You know, we have so many variables of our brain and who we are that, I mean, there's just so much data to, to unpack. And so... As leaders, we need to continually try to find ways to unpack that data, unpack that context. So uh, so context in big uppercase letters. What I'm hearing you say is if you tap into context, you enable adaptability to make sound decisions. Pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. That's the best way to put it. 
Okay, let's stop there. And that's it. We're done. How was that? That was fantastic. I don't know what it is, but I think <laughs> I think all the calls I have, all these recordings are fantastic and they're so unique. What you del- what you delivered just now and shared with people is different from say the last call I had, which was someone with a, who was a chief HR officer for a small company, but, but you each brought in your own perspectives and that I, I just, the, it was a fantastic beginning story about, about being a chameleon, a fantastic story about how you applied that to some extent to working with, with Naya and, and then your advice is just, I mean, it's spot on, just really cool stuff. I appreciate that, Gary. I was, uh, I was hoping I'd be able to deliver for you. You delivered. <laughs> you definitely delivered.